Okay, let's dive into this first text by Lillian Ross. <clears throat> Born in 1926, Lillian Ross has been writing for the New Yorker magazine since 1945. She began as a contributor for the popular Talk of the Town feature and over the last 70 years has contributed hundreds of essays and articles to nearly every section of the magazine. Many of Ross's articles have been compiled into books. Talk Stories, 1966, Takes, 1983, are collections of her Talk of the Town essays. Other books authored by Ross stem from the profiles and reporting that originally appeared in the magazine. When she published Portrait of Hemingway in 1961, she was criticized for realistically portraying Hemingway as the brilliant body character he actually was. Today, the book is regarded as a masterpiece for its raw honesty. Okay, so I'm going to stop right now, and let's talk about why we're reading this. When we look at the background information about the author themselves, that's part of what we're doing to ask questions before we read. Understanding about what the author does and how they write gives us a preview about what to expect in the text that we are about to encounter. So I can see right here that this author right here is really doing things that are honest, that are a real pointed look at things that might help me understand and see what she might be saying in the Halloween party in that same way. She went on to write other books about all Adlai Stevenson, 1966, and Moments with Chaplin, 1980. Ross's memoir, Here But Not Here, 1988, recounts her life at the New Yorker and her longtime relationship with William Sean, the late legendary editor of the magazine. In 2001, Ross co-edited The Fun of It, another collection of the magazine's Talk of the Town pieces from 1925 to 2000. Ross still lives in Manhattan and still contributes to The New Yorker. Okay, here's another one that will give us a peek at how we're to read this, especially in terms of the point of view. One of the hallmarks of Ross's writing is her ability to make the narrator nearly invisible, a technique also evident in her essay, Halloween Party, the text you will read in this module. Halloween Party, Lillian Ross. A letter has arrived from a woman we know, colon. So now we have what this letter says, perhaps. And as I skim through these next pieces, I see these paragraphs are really pretty long in the next couple of pages, and then it gets a little bit more broken up as we read through. So let's tackle this. And remember, you need to be thinking about monitoring your comprehension and making adjustments. You may need to pause and reread. Use your background information or research whenever you don't have that background information. Let's be asking those questions, and I want to pose three of them right here. The first is, what surprises you? The second is, what does the author think you already know? And that's the trigger for you to monitor your comprehension and do something about it. 
The third thing that I want you to think about is what changes, challenges, or confirms your ideas about what is happening in the text. So that means we have to begin with what is happening in the text so we can figure out what these themes are and why they matter. All right, here we go. This letter arrives. My 13-year-old son gave a Halloween costume party for a bunch of boys and girls. I became his financier, and he, as he talked endlessly about his Count Dracula costume. Count Dracula seems to have been the most popular Halloween costume for the past 10 years. A black satin cotton Dracula cape, $18.95. Count Dracula fangs, $1.25. Clown white face makeup, $2.00. And Zotter's stage blood, $2. So now I understand why she's his financier. So she's paying for the costume as well as, um, I guess, the details for the party itself. The menu for the party included fried chicken, spaghetti, Cokes, salad, and cupcakes with orange or chocolate icing. Cost per guest, $7. The candy for visiting trick-or-treaters as well for the guests was orange and black jelly beans. So we got a theme of color here. Sugar pumpkins, candy corn, Tootsie Rolls, Raisinets, ugh, Almond Joys, Nestle Crunch, Baby Ruth's, Milky Ways, Hide Juji Fruits, never had those, Peanut Chews, and Cracker Jacks. Total, $38.65. Okay, I got to look back here and see when this was written. 1980, yeah. It would be a lot more expensive now. My son also had eight cookies, six inches in diameter, and decorated with black cats. $1.25 each. Eight little plastic pumpkins full of hard candies, each with a trimly plastic spider on top. Two fifty each. Eight orange colored balloons that blew up to resemble cats. Eighty-five cents each. Okay, so now I see why this paragraph is so long. It's just a list of all of the things that she's doing as his financier. She's paying for all of it. Okay, let's see. Uh, the balloons. Eight orange-colored lollipops with jack-o'-lantern faces, 75, 70 cents each. A large paper tablecloth showing a black witch standing over a black cauldron with spiders popping out of the cauldron, $2.25. Matching napkins, $1.10. Matching paper cups, $2.00. Matching paper plates, $1.75. A happy Halloween sign, $1.25. A dancing skeleton, $3.99. Something called a happy spider, $4. A classic jack-o'-lantern made of real pumpkin, $4 plus labor. <laughs> Total investment in props, $181.59. Total investment of labor in jack-o'-lantern kitchen cleanup and laundry, $35. Total investment in emotion and puzzle puzzlement, indeterminable. Okay, that's a really important line. So she culminates this list with her emotional reaction 
and connection to the feelings that she has of putting this party together for her 13-year-old son. So now we move into this next long paragraph that spans the next page and a half. It's interesting. Let's see what happens. Page 54 at the bottom. I watch the guests arrive. The first one, A, comes as Darth Vader of Star Wars. B, comes as Luke Skywalker of Star Wars. (laughs) C, comes as the Incredible Hulk. D, comes as a tramp. E, comes as a ghost. F, comes as a ballerina. G, comes in one of her mother's old evening gowns as Bette Midler. All are in an advanced stage of hysteria. So it's interesting. I'm wondering why she calls them A, B, C, D, E, F, G. A pulls at C's costume. G immediately starts throwing sugar pumpkins at E. So now the costumes don't matter. It's the the letters. They've given themselves an hour before they move the party out to ring doorbells and see what they get. They tear into the fried chicken, most of them eating three bites and wasting the rest. They sprinkle jelly beans on the chicken and on the spaghetti. They pick at the spaghetti, which is on the menu because my son said everybody likes spaghetti. They eat it one strand at a time, dropping a strand on the floor for each strand they consume. (laughs) They gulp down the Cokes, another must, their appetite for the caffeine insatiable. And what are they talking about, these eighth graders who are eyeing each other fishily? They are talking about their careers. They are talking about getting into Exeter. They are talking about Yale and Yale Law School. They are talking about how to get in here and how to get in there. They are talking about the guy who makes more money, the president of Chase Manhattan or the president of General Motors. Nobody is talking kid talk. Nobody is talking about the present time and what to do with it. Nobody is talking about learning. Nobody sounds young. A, a pudgy boy who tries to find out the marks of every other child in his class, wants to be a successful corporation lawyer. He doesn't just say corporation lawyer. It's success that he's bent on. He informs my son that he intends to have more money than his uncle, who is a corporation lawyer in Philadelphia. Next, A tells my son that he wants to go to Exeter. Why? Because Exeter is a stone stepping, stepping stone to Harvard, he says. Not Exeter for the wonders of Exeter, but Exeter because it will be useful after he leaves it. So I'm going to stop and reread a minute because I'm noticing a couple of things. Not Exeter for the wonders of Exeter, but Exeter because it's useful after he leaves it. And I like that question where she talks about... Um, What are they talking about? And then she says, a contrast what they're not talking about. Nobody is talking kid talk. Nobody is talking about the present time and what to do with it. Nobody is talking about learning. Nobody sounds young. I think those are important ideas that we need to pay attention to. Okay, now I want you to notice something here. I'm on page 56. The previous paragraphs have been really, really long. And now we have this tiny little paragraph. Authors do that on purpose. 
B, with his mouth full of almond joy, is asking the others a question. Do you want to be a little fish in a big pond or a big fish in a little pond? Wow, now that is a real interesting contrast between the elements we pointed out earlier and what we see here. And remember that the narrator is holding all of these things in her mind and thinking about what they mean. She is invisible because now we're just seeing the thoughts of what's happening with these, these children that are here at this party. What has that got to do with getting an education? How about the excitement of learning algebra? Okay, I wouldn't ex be excited about algebra. What about that wonderful grammar teacher who showed you how to recognize the participle absolute? Well, I am a grammar geek, so I like that. Why aren't you talking about your French teachers getting you to speak French with an accent that would wow them in Paris? I want to butt in with my questions, but I keep my mouth shut. Now A is talking. His mother, he is saying, has taken him rock climbing because rock climbing is an impressive activity to put down as his interest on the application to Exeter. But you hate rock climbing, says D, who is a mischief maker with the face of an angel under his tramp makeup. You hate to move your ass, D adds. All right, who else is here? C, who is wearing the mask of the Incredible Hulk. C is the jock of the group. This is interesting to me. I'm starting to wonder if there are some comparisons between the costumes and the characters. I might need to think about that some more. He has been in training since the age of two in the craft of giving nothing away. He's wary and tight and already immunized to the teeth against charity for its own sake. He, too, wants to be a corporation lawyer, so to be and D. The girls, though, the ballerina and Bette Midler, both want to be big corporation presidents. They are both relaxed, being well aware of what women's lib has done for them. E, the ghost, is the only one with a simple costume made of a sheet. Hmm. Ghost. I'm wondering if he's invisible, too. A talking to B, points out that E doesn't have to bother about a costume because he's rich, very rich. His grandfather lives in Texas and owns real oil wells, not new ones, but very old and very productive oil wells. E wants to be a movie director and has promised to give my son, who at the moment wants to be an actor, a starring part in his first movie. They're pals. Both of them are regarded with suspicion by the ones who want to be corporation lawyers. What else are they saying? They're still talking about Exeter. Apparently, A is obsessed by Exeter. It is he who keeps bringing up the conversation, bringing the conversation back to it. They ask you to write a personal letter to them, this little busybody busy says. <laughs> you can see the tone. She doesn't like this kid very much. They say, this letter should represent you as accurately as possible. But then they tell you in the catalog what they want. So all you have to do is tell it back to them. C finally talks. The way you always figure out what the teacher wants and give it right back to him, he says. D squirts a little coke at A, and the future lawyers get up and make for the door. 
They cram their loot bags with the orange and black jelly beans, the candy corn, the cookies, the trembly spiders, the balloons, the jack. Oh, we're back to the list. All of the stuff. The jack lantern lollipops and the rest. They make a point of thanking me loudly. The girls amble out, smiling knowledgeably at each other. E and my son run up to catch the, up to them. Catch up. Interesting. They, too, thank me extravagantly, and they all go off in their disguises to do their tricks and get their treats. I am left wondering what it's all about. And so am I. A lot of times when I get through reading, I need the little bit of quiet space to think and just let it wash over me for a little bit about what it's saying. And I'm struck again by these lines that they have disguises, doing their tricks, getting their treats. And I'm struck by, you know, what matters is giving people what they want and figuring out instead of really looking at what matters to you and how that keeps you all in a disguise. I too am left wondering what it's all about. 